Welcome to the Hindsight Decision Makers Podcast. Here we dive into what's on the minds of the women and men who make the state of New Hampshire tick. And here is your host, Patrick Hines of Hines Communications. Our guest today is Dr. Andy Smith. Dr. Smith is the director of the University of New Hampshire Survey Center. He has more than 30 years experience in academic survey research. Dr. Smith is also professor of practice in political science in the UNH Department of Political Science, where his teaching and research has focused on survey methodology, elections, and public policy. Dr. Smith is president of the New England chapter of the American Association for Public Opinion Research. You've seen his work on WMUR-TV, Real Clear Politics, and just about everywhere during the presidential primary process. He's here to talk to us today about the 2020 election, what's ahead in 21 and 22, and the state of political polling in America. Dr. Smith, thank you for joining us on the Decision Makers podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start by looking back, and then we'll look forward. In November, voters in New Hampshire gave Democrats running for federal office substantial majorities. A lot of those same voters gave uh, Republican Governor Chris Sununu an even bigger majority, and then they gave him a Republican state Senate and a Republican state House. What were voters trying to say with all this ticket splitting? Um, well, I, I think that there's some some uh, actual ticket splitting, but then there's also some fundamental structural things with New Hampshire politics. First of all, let's say at the top of the ticket, New Hampshire has been essentially a democratic state, uh, a tight state, but a democratic state uh, at the presidential level uh, going back to the 1990s, with the exception of George W. Bush's win, narrow, narrow win in 2000, Democrats have won every presidential election in New Hampshire. And you could argue that had not uh, Ralph Nader run in 2000, that uh, Al Gore would have won here and would have been president. Uh, so at the top of the ticket, New Hampshire typically votes uh, Democratic in presidential years. But the governor is something that is quite different in that the governor is a CEO in his own right. He's a chief executive similar to the president and has a record. And here um, uh, we saw that pattern playing out. Um, Democrats voted for the federal candidates consistently, um, and they won um, about as expected, um, a little bit wider than in 2016 at the president. But for a governor, as a, a, somebody who has an independent record, they voted for Chris Sununu, who is very popular. Um, his job approval rating was very high, and his approval rating in handling COVID was extremely high. And I would say that this New Hampshire has a tradition of doing this. Uh, John Lynch was able to win um, re-election in the extraordinarily heavily Republican year of 2010 uh, as the only Democrat to, to win across the board. And then when you move down to the State House and the State Senate, uh, it points out why it's good to win elections in years ending with zero at the state level, because you get to draw the district lines for the next 10 years. And that's what happened in 2010. Uh, the, the state House districts and state Senate districts that were drawn uh, favor Republicans to the point where it takes 53 to 54 percent of the popular vote for Democrats to win majorities in either of those houses. So I think structurally, um, it, it helps Republicans in those races. And I think that uh, they're certainly going to redistrict things to be favorable for them uh, for the next 10 years as well. So I, I think it's not, there's some ticket splitting, but the ticket splitting really took place between um, 
Democrats for most offices and then Chris Sununu for governor. And that uh, um, that's not unusual in New Hampshire. Now, looking <clears throat> now, looking forward, uh, now that the election's over, we've had we had Organization Day uh, last week. What do you see as the animating issues driving the next legislative session now that we've got new Republican leadership in both chambers of the, the state legislature? Well, number one, it's going to be COVID. That's the driving issue of people in the state. It's the driving issue at the state level. It, uh, what happens with COVID is going to impact the state budget. So I think the COVID, uh, COVID issue is number one. Uh, falling out from that will be the state budget. That's going to be the, uh, something that's going to absorb the majority of the bandwidth of the legislature in this term. Uh, and it's especially going to be interesting because uh, it's going to be done remotely in many ways, or it's going to have to be done somewhat remotely, um, uh, that many people don't want to go into the old legislative office building and sit in those crowded committee rooms uh, that they have had to in the past. So it's going to be a different process. And I think it's going to be more cumbersome and slower than, than usual. Um, so the budget is going to be the second uh, major issue. And then I think we're going to see some things uh, that are related to the budget, um, possibly uh, uh, find, uh, things that are related in, the, in, in for revenue. So maybe uh, increase in tobacco taxes, maybe a decrease in uh, a, a vote on decrease in the uh, rooms and meals taxes or business taxes to give those businesses a break. And also we may see something in a um, – uh, a different kind of road taxes, the, uh, the, the traditional way of relay, uh, relying on gasoline taxes to fund um, uh, re, uh, building and, and reconstruction of roads is just not financially viable um, as we have uh, cars that uh, either get much better gas mileage or don't rely on gasoline at all. Uh, certainly during COVID, people aren't driving anywhere near as much, and that means revenues to support the roads have gone way down, and there's going to be proposals to put in uh, other ways of funding um, uh, road building. When you look at some of these issues that come and go, and, and some have staying power, I was looking at a survey that you put out this week that showed um, you know, the the opioid issue or the drug issue kind of spiking over the last five years and then disappearing. One issue, not disappearing, but falling dramatically. One issue that, that I haven't seen in any polling, but suddenly has become front page news in New Hampshire is the homelessness issue. Um, did Have you seen that pop in any of your research? It didn't pop up in our most recent poll, and that's when uh, we just completed it in, in uh, uh, last week. So this was uh, recent issues uh, that, that's popped up. And I, I should say things don't really become that much of an issue until they're in the press for a while. Most people aren't confronted with these issues. So homelessness, for example, one of the reasons that it, it largely flies under the radar is that for the great majority of people in the state, they don't see it. Uh, but when it's presented to them in the in the press um, – day after day after day, and when it gets uh, then addressed by policymakers, then it becomes more of an issue. Uh, I think another reason that this has become more of an issue is it's, it's gotten a partisan tinge to it, uh, where you see a lot of finger pointing between um, uh, Democrats, particularly uh, uh, Mayor Craig in Manchester, and the Sununu administration pointing at each other as being the cause of the problem. Uh, that is... Uh, 
likely to, ri- to raise uh, views of that by both Republicans and Democrats. Um, and it's now, I think, seen as a way for Democrats in particular to attack uh, uh, Governor Sununu, who's been quite popular on most other issues, maybe a, 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 a way to weaken him maybe for a 2022 run for the Senate. <clears throat> Let's talk about another issue that I think has created a lot of noise, but I don't know how impactful it's been for most typical people. And that's the mask mandate. You know, Governor Sununu is very popular. Um, people in New Hampshire take COVID-19 very seriously. Um, he went a very, very long time without imposing a mask mandate. And then he did impose one. It's a very mild mandate with not a lot of punishment associated with it. And he's caught nothing but flack for it. And my question is, do you have any insights to share about the popularity of mask mandates, the unpopularity of them? What are we seeing here? Well, the mask mandates have been wrapped up in, in presidential politics as well, as where it became kind of a visible statement for Democrats to wear a mask at all times, and for many Republicans, not all Republicans, but for many Republicans to not wear a mask. And frankly, in New Hampshire, over the course of the summer and most of the fall, with rates being as low as they were, it was relatively a harmless public display of your support for things. Um, so there's that background. Uh, secondly, uh, it is wrapped up in the kind of the libertarian spirit of New Hampshire and many Republicans in New Hampshire that the government has no business telling us what we can and can't do in, in our personal lives in these areas. So there's uh, kind of a libertarian aspect of that that's tied up to do with it. Uh, and what we've seen is that uh, – Republicans, and particularly more Repub- uh, libertarian Republicans and Trump supporters, uh, have seen they, they, their support for uh, Sununu's handling of COVID-19 has dropped. Um, among Republicans, 95% approved of, of Sununu's handling of COVID-19 prior to the election. That's down to 80% now. So it's high, but that's a 15 percentage point drop. So there, this is, I think, um, being felt with uh, among um uh, Republicans that they they don't like this, but I don't know if it's so much for the public health issues as much as it is for the kind of the uh, don't tell us what to do issues uh, when it when it comes to the the mask mandate. You know, Senator Maggie Hassan, uh, she beat Kelly Ayotte in 2016 by a thousand votes. It was the closest federal race that year, the Senate race, anyway. Um. What do numbers look? What do Senator Hassan's numbers look like now? And do you see anything in the crystal ball for what she might be confronting in twenty twenty two? Well, she she's had the ability to fly under the political radar because we had a Senate race in twenty twenty, but that was with uh, Senator Shaheen uh, and the presidential race. Uh, now that uh, political focus is going to turn on her because she's up for re-election in, in 2022. And the big question is whether or not uh, Governor Sununu decides to run for the Senate. Um, there are some indications that he's certainly considering this. And if he were, this would be an excellent year for it. Uh, historically, in midterm elections, the president's party does poorly. They lose seats in the House and the Senate, um, certainly in the House, uh, but also in the Senate. And uh uh, Hassan won a very narrow um, election in 2016 in a presidential year, and uh, that's a year where Democrats have uh, an advantage. Uh, 2022 is going to be a, di- a big Republican year, and if there were ever a year for Sununu to run, um, uh, this would be it. Uh, he would uh, 
uh, it's likely that uh, he would certainly, let's say, either win in a close race or win in a, um, a, a, a bigger race. And I think there's a lot of concern among Democrats that that he's likely to do that. And I think you're going to see a very nasty uh, forthcoming year or two years, actually, um, of partisan politics in New Hampshire because of that. So I want to preface this last question here by pointing out that the University of New Hampshire Survey Center did a very uh, accurate job in, in picking the federal races and even predicting a 14 to 10 Republican state Senate. I think a significant number of pickups for Republicans in the uh, state house races. So this isn't a universal problem, but we, we've noticed in 2016 and in 2020 that polling has some major problems. Uh, Senator uh, Susan Collins next door in Maine, she was not ahead in a single poll uh, in her U.S. Senate re- re-election campaign. She won by eight points. In Wisconsin, a uh, survey came out showing Joe Biden winning by 17 points. He didn't come anywhere near that. So polling has a little bit of a crisis going on. Do you agree with that? And if so, is there anything that can be done to fix it? Um, I agree that there are some uh, serious problems with polling. Um, I think that, it, as you pointed out, it is not consistent across the, uh, the country. Uh, some states were quite accurate. Other states were wildly inaccurate in the elections, both this year and, 20, and in 2016. Um, I'm currently on a task force um, for the American Association of Public Opinion Research that's re- reviewing and trying to understand what happened in polls this year. Uh, it's, it's a... Um, Frankly, I don't know why they put me on it. There's a lot of real big wigs in the polling industry on this. Um, but my my goal is to say, uh, let's really try to figure out what's happening. Let's not try to make this a uh, cover your rear uh, kind of a report that often comes out when industries don't uh, perform well. Because I do think we have some serious issues. And I think that it comes down to the fact that we are in a... Um, a paradigm shift in public opinion research. Uh, we've, we've had this before in the 1930s and 40s. We shifted from you know, uh, basically uh, quota samples to uh, probability-based random samples. In the 1960s and 70s, we moved from in-person surveys to telephone surveys, in large part because telephone surveys were so much less expensive than in-person. And now we're moving from telephone surveys to web-based surveys in great part because they're so much less expensive. Uh, but we haven't figured out best practices for web surveys yet. Most web-based surveys use non-probability samples, um, which means you can't calculate margins of sampling error. You can't rely on the central limit theorem um, to make assessments of uh, the, the, the likely accuracy of an estimate. Um, and, and many organizations are trying to figure out their way around this or trying to figure out what our best practices are going to be. Uh, so I don't think that we're going to know the answer um, after this report, but we're going to have some real strong indications of where the weaknesses are. Uh, one of the concerns that we have had in our initial discussions with this uh, task force is, is this, uh, are, the, are the misses in 2016 and 2020 unique to Donald Trump and the Trump era, or is this something that's much deeper and more fundamental that's going on? Uh, there's a, I, I think that we're going to have to wait and see until this research is done uh, where things are. But as I said, we're in a 
paradigm shift in how we do pub, uh, survey uh, work. Uh, we don't have those best practices nailed down yet, but we've got a lot of smart people and a lot of universities and a lot of big organizations that are working on this uh, and with the intent of making sure that we're accurate and trusted again. One other thing I should point out is that uh, the, the thing that I see as a problem this year is what we call partisan or differential non-response. That is that uh, we saw that Trump supporters were just less likely to participate in surveys than were uh, Biden supporters. And that's not surprising given that Trump has been talking about fake news and fake polls for the last five years or so. Uh, and many of his supporters have taken that to heart. That is a a, a real issue that we can't get around with waiting and so forth because it's an attitudinal issue, not a demographic issue that can be solved by waiting problem, uh, by waiting concerns. Uh, so there are a lot of things that we're looking at. Uh, there's not going to be any quick answers to this. It's probably going to be something that uh, we pay attention to for the next uh, uh, two, four, six years before we really come down with some uh, best practices. Dr. Andy Smith from the UNH. Survey Center, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, sir. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Decision Makers. If you care about the issues driving conversation in New Hampshire and you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends on social media and sign up at HeinzCommunications.com to receive notice of new episodes. Until next time, I'm Patrick Hines.